0: Welcome to The Sword in the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm
1: Tom Askell.
0: Thanks for listening to The Sword in the Trial today. Um, we have a conference coming up December 5th through 7th. Yeah. Founders, Southeast Region Founders.
1: It's going to be Founders, wonderful. It's a conference on perhaps the most important biblical teaching that is needed in our day. Oh, man, that's big. It is big, and I, I say that without fear of contradiction at this point, actually, especially here in America and the Western context. It is on the law and the gospel, vitally important subjects. We've got great guys coming in to speak. Uh, Jeff Johnson will be joining us. Tom Nettles will be joining us, and then, Jared, you and I will be involved as well in this. And this is a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. It's been something that Founders has uh, been advocating from the very beginning, we we have been built upon the doctrine of grace without any kind of uh, equivocation or apology for that. Mm-hmm. But underneath that is law and gospel, as is expressed very clearly in our confession of faith, the 1689 Second London Confession. Mm-hmm. So why should somebody come? to a conference on the law and the gospel. What would you say if you were trying to persuade someone to give time and energy to come to this conference?
0: Well, is it Charles Bridges in the Christian ministry that said a man is, has no business being a pastor, basically, if he doesn't That's understand right. the it's law and the qualified. gospel? The Puritans called it the marrow of uh, theology or mm-hmm. marrow of sound doctrine is understanding the law and the gospel. Um, uh, Luther had some good statements, too, about this. I mean, it just seems to be something that's running all through the Reformed tradition. Now, there's going to be differences, obviously, between Luther and Calvin um, and even differences today in the way people understand this. But it's cutting through every everything you're doing in ministry. It's cutting through. Yeah. If you're counseling... Um, you're going to have to be sitting there thinking about both the law and the gospel and how they apply in the midst of that counseling situation. What is it that needs to be done? Uh, where is the motivating power for what needs to be done? Uh, how have people fallen short of what needs to be done? And how does the gospel apply in that particular situation? It's, it's interesting to me counseling is just take that maybe talk about preaching and other things in a moment, but counseling, it's interesting to me how, quickly things can get twisted on law gospel levels. Mm-hmm. So let's say that um, we're sitting down, there's some beef between me and you and we're in the pastor's office. And I say, you know, Tom's really um, offended me because he wore a yellow shirt. And, but you know what? I'm a good Christian and I, I forgive um, Tom, you know, I'm, so full really of grace. everything's well, i full of grace. <laughs> so interestingly, like law gospel got twisted so quick in like two sentences. Here it is. I, I, now, I'm coming out as the gracious person that really understands the gospel, and you're just a dirty scoundrel. Because <laughs> I wear, dirt, yellow <laughs> you wear yellow shirts. yellow shirts. <laughs> so, of course, we've got to say, all right, let's back up here a moment. We, wanted, we almost wanted to jump to gospel and jump to grace, but we need to back up. And if you just sit there and go, well, man, Jared, isn't he such a gracious guy? This is great. Everything's well. Well it was propped up under this misunderstanding of the law there has been no transgression there has been no actual wrong done, and therefore your extension of grace or I mean you might say gospel to that person is actually not at all an extension of grace and you've got to back up here and get these things sorted out yeah, because you understand neither law nor
1: gospel whenever yeah. you're in that
0: scenario yeah we tell people you know marriage counseling premarital counseling um Heather and I will meet people sometime and just say we we did not know how often we'd be repenting and believing in marriage, you know, especially at the outset. And, you know, you just, <laughs> here you are, like all this stuff's going wrong and everybody's got their own standards and you got to have your standards brought into conformity with the word of God. And once you get that, you're, you're you know, that's not the only thing you need. So you don't just need mm-hmm. law. But you do need that as a foundation to say, okay, we both agree that we have the playbook here. We both agree to the standards. We know what they are, and we're growing in our knowledge of them. And so we know when one of them has been transgressed, and we know how to show honor when the law has been fulfilled, and we know how to correct when the law has been transgressed. And so that's a foundation. And then you go, okay, on top of that, we have grace. Mercy for one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though we fall short of that law all the time, we know God loves us. Jesus is the righteous one who has fulfilled the law for us, and we're trusting him, and by God's grace, we will grow and uh, uphold the law, as Paul talks about in Romans. And
1: that that is what marriage is all about, is to portray that uh, to the watching world. The whole Bible is either law or gospel. Mm-hmm. It is comprised of indicatives and imperatives. And if we don't understand that and the relationship between the two, then we're going to just go astray. Some people turn the Bible into a rule book. And so they say, if you do these seven things, then this is going to be the consequence and the outcome of that. And they, they think it's, it's like a... Um, a cookbook, you know, just put all this together, do it the right way, and you get mm-hmm. the outcome that you design. Other people treat it like an encyclopedia. This is just full of good information. You just take the information, believe the information. No, it's law and gospel. I mean, the gospel makes no sense without the law because the gospel saves us from sin. Jesus Christ died as a substitutionary sacrifice to pay for the penalty of sin the Mm -hmm. sin incurred by his people. And the only way you understand that or begin to appreciate the significance of that is to recognize what sin is, what you have done. What is sin? It's any transgression of the law of God. Well, we have broken God's commandments. Therefore we are under his judgment by nature and we need to be rescued. And the only way we can be rescued is by someone to take our place pay our penalty, which is what Jesus has done, that's the gospel. But the gospel makes no sense apart from the law. And sometimes people get so twisted up on this that they, they want to uh, to downplay the significance of sin as uh, if it's not as serious as the Bible makes it out to be because they don't want to make people feel bad. When if we understand the gospel, we can look full-fledged into the face of sin and see it in its wickedness and know that however bad it is that we discover in ourselves, there's a Savior for that. Jesus has known it. He has died for that. So I don't have to play emotional games with myself, nor do I have to, in, in any sense, uh, look away from God's commandments because they're too high for me. In Christ, I know that my feeble efforts to obey his commandments are accepted, not because I do it perfectly, but because I'm doing them in faith, I'm trusting Jesus and seeking to live in obedience to His commandments, mm-hmm. and that's how we are called to live.
0: This is going to come out um, in any minister's preaching, so we need wisdom in the application of law and gospel to preaching. If you, are, you know, you open up your nextus twenty and the text for the day is "Do not steal." Yeah. You know, okay. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Are you just going to stand up there and say, "Stop it"? Or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. Um, you know, so stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't steal, don't steal, don't steal. You know, look at what happened in this Old Testament example. Yeah. Don't not steal. Let me show you in the New Testament where it also says do not steal. Therefore, conclusion, do not steal. Thanks for coming. Um, well, you've missed something if that's yeah. all that you've done, right? Right. Um, but if you open up do not steal and you say, hey, you know, Exodus 20 is do not steal. And you know what? This is part of that nasty Old Testament, that mean God back there who was cared about law. And we all know law is a bad word. So th- what this passage is really all about is, you know, um, just kind of live however you want to. Don't really worry about, you know, mm. kind of possessions are not that big of a deal anyways. Right. <laughs> and even if you talk about Christ, well, Christ, you know, he didn't steal and he's the righteous one. And yes and amen. But that's all you talk about. And you never come around and say, hey, you know what? you shouldn't steal. Um and guess what? You've missed that. <laughs> you have. <laughs> yeah. So so you can see how it's it, no matter where you're at in the text and that's not only with Exodus 20, it's any any text. I was I'm preaching right now at Grace through 1 Samuel so you go to Saul's failure. So what are you going to do with Saul's unlawful sacrifice? Is Saul merely uh, an example to us of what not to do? Is that is that the point of 1 Samuel 13? Um Saul offered an unlawful sacrifice. He took matters into his own hands. He didn't hope in God. He didn't, he transgressed God's command. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't be like Saul. Um, well, no, that's not the only thing that that text is talking about. Um, but at the same time, there is a principle that's being laid down there. Sure. He's setting an example for us, but there's more going on. I mean, he is the, he's the contrast of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was faithful in every way and who didn't do what Saul did. And so you want that's got to be kind of, it's going to be, Law gospel is going to be kind of cooking on the burner uh, in whatever you're doing Absolutely. in pastoral ministry. So you want to know these things well.
1: Yeah, you can't get away from it. Even the person who's not thinking about it has some connection or misconnection underneath his thinking and preaching. And Jesus said, or as he said of Jesus, he came to the to uh, magnify the law and make it honorable. He said he didn't come to break the commandments to break the law but to fulfill the law well those words ought to cause every serious child of god to back up and say okay you know how do we relate law to gospel and this is not a lesson you get in 10 minutes and then you're done for the rest of your life. This is a subject that is as broad as the oceans are, and it's as deep as the oceans are, and we need to immerse ourselves in it and recognize God has revealed himself to be the God of law and gospel. And the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. He loves the gospel, and he loves the law.
0: I, um... So we're going to be getting into a different applications of this principle uh, at the conference in December. Um, I believe Jeff is going to be doing, like, law and gospel and understanding covenant theology mm-hmm. and its relationship to covenant theology, which is huge. Right. It's a huge topic. It's going to be very beneficial. I'm doing it on parenting. You know, one story I remember from um, counseling with another, uh, another couple, another people that were parents of, of young children, and <laughs> the guy was telling the story that he— he was wanting to teach the child. The child had been acting up, and he was—you know—they had disciplined the child for when the child disobeyed them, and uh, they'd done that for a while. And then he thought, you know, well, this time I'm gonna—I'm going to uh, go in and say, well, look, you—you you should have a discipline, but uh, I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to give you discipline. You know, and so they do that thing. She's like, okay, well, she goes out, disobeys again, comes back in, and he starts to say, we're going to discipline. She's like, Daddy, I want grace. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, ah, oh, I'm going to catch 22 here. You know what I mean? What if I discipline that's not grace? If I... Yeah. So then seeing, oh, well, you know, the grace of discipline is mm-hmm. one application of uh, this in the way that we're thinking about parenting now. Um, I'm not saying that there can't be a principle of showing mercy and trying to demonstrate that in disciplines. But uh, in the fatherly, motherly relationship to children, one of the key things is to see that we're disciplining them the way the father disciplines us, which means it's always gracious when that Mm -hmm. discipline is done and all the ways that it should be done biblically with wisdom and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I think it comes out in parenting in almost every direction. So I'm looking forward to getting into that.
1: Yeah, well, we invite uh, you to come and join us here December the 5th through the 7th in Cape Coral, Florida for the Southeast Region Founders Conference. encourage you to go and register today at founders.org. It's not even new to Southern Baptists because Satan does this. He is constantly telling you you should be guilty when you're forgiven. He is constantly asking you to live with regrets when the Father has taken all the sins of the world. Welcome back to the Sword of the Trial. In this segment, we wanna talk about a book that we recommend to you. It's called, My Journey in Grace. It's written by Terrell Suggs. And he, at the time that he wrote this, was a director of missions of a Southern Baptist Association in Oklahoma. Uh, it's a great book in the sense that it's warm, it's personal. He describes some of his own struggles in coming to understand the doctrines of the grace, of grace, and he does so by putting it in a historical context. And so he gives you a, a real good, uh, succinct overview uh, from the Reformation through Dort into early Baptist life of how these doctrines have shifted shaped and influenced uh, much of the evangelical world and then he describes how these things landed on him how he first discovered them uh, the way he fought against them the way he came to see how biblical they are and then he gives you a breakdown in the latter part of the book so uh, of the different important doctrinal categories so for example um he's got all these chapters here on the sovereignty of god the will of god foreknowledge Grace of God, man's sinfulness, free will of man. So he just it's almost like a, a partial systematic theology of how biblical doctrines come into focus. Once you understand these fundamental relationships between God and his creation and getting that, seeing God's sovereignty and God's image bearers being responsible to live according to his will, then these other doctrines in the scripture begin to take on a, a, a more... Uh, definite understanding and and perspective. So I highly recommend the book. Again, this is a book you can give to anybody that you want to think more seriously about the grace of God and the gospel. It's a book published by Founders Press. We're gonna be offering it for the next week after this podcast goes live for a deep discount. So I encourage you to go to founders.org. You can go to the bookstore and order this book, My Journey in Grace by Terrell Suggs from Founders. Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals, to have a study center. Uh, We've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support, we've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us and we would be uh, delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, we've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. And I invite you to become a part of the fam with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift, we would welcome that as well. Uh, there's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to the Sword and Trial. In this segment, we want to focus in on a command. And we're looking at the New Testament. Specifically, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the Command is in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus describes his people as the light of the world. He says you're like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're like a lamp that's lit in a household. It's not put under a basket, but rather it's put up on a stand so that it gives light to the whole house. Then in verse 16 of Matthew 5, he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So he says, you are light. There's an indicative. That's a reality. If you know Christ, then you are the light of the world. But then secondly, the admonition that grows out of that indicative is let your light shine before men. So what's involved for Christians letting their light shine before men?
0: I think the context is key to help us know what he's talking about when he says light. He says, after saying, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So I don't think your light is just kind of your own personality or your own pizzazz, <laughs> you know, which is probably a common um, misinterpretation, misunderstanding of this text. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to let me shine. You be um, you. Not so much that, but your good works, your obedience to God, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, statements of that faith in Jesus, of confidence in him, and then the fruit of uh, your life, how it follows the lord jesus christ interestingly the the whole setup you're supposed to do this like there's a um you ought to let your light shine before me you're a city on a hill you know Mm -hmm. you're not just a um you know you're not a city in a valley so i i (laughs) with with what's going on in american culture now the tendency might be to run to flee you know mm-hmm. um there have been people that have written books recently that have some truth in them i'm thinking of benedict option i think it was a you know i, I benefited in a number of ways from reading dreer's book on kind of cultural analysis but it did have very much the the Bene, benedict's monastery he pulled away and we're just going to go into these enclaves and we'll pray and we'll wait uh for the dark night to pass and mm-hmm. then we'll come back out well um there's certainly wisdom in being separate but this text has a has a great flavor to it doesn't it it says we're supposed to go out here and show this lost and dying world how to live we're supposed to show them uh, that our God is glorious and a part of them coming to know that God is glorious is they are gonna need to see our good works yeah we're, the, we're supposed to be the example to the world that's lost in darkness.
1: And this is different than the warnings of doing your good work so that people will see you. It's a question of motivation because Jesus does uh, forbid that. He does uh, condemn that, that we are not to be like the Pharisees who are always giving their alms, always praying, always doing their things so that people will see them and they'll get praise from people. So it's a question of motivation. However, some folks look at that and they're so allergic to falling into pharisaism of doing things so people look at them that they're afraid to do things They're afraid to do things publicly. They're afraid to uh, let their light shine by doing good works for the glory of God, doing it in a way so that, yeah, if other people see it, fine. You're not not waiting for a crowd and then going to do what you're supposed to do. You're doing what you're supposed to do and not trying to hide about it. You're willing to live the Christian life openly, Mm -hmm. serve others openly, care for people openly. Not so that the credit will come to you, but Mm -hmm. you're doing it because you're devoted to Christ and when opportunity is afforded to you you make that very clearly known.
0: Right. It really is a call to get on the offensive. I was talking to some uh to some young men recently in our church that uh are not married but we're talking about that whole process of pursuing marriage, pursuing a wife and it was dawning on me in that conversation that you know if the young men don't if they're not active, they don't get up and get going here then nothing 's going to happen you know there 's a delay in marriage in our land and that 's that 's clear and the solution's going to have to be guys getting getting out there and pursuing a wife, leaving and cleaving and uh, there 's a that 's um a type of what 's going on here. Christians should be thinking the world is in darkness, and if we don 't go out and let our light shine before men, if we don 't go and show them how uh, to Live what it means to obey the, our Creator and our Savior. Uh, well, then they're not. It's not going to just happen, you know. And so there is a call for us to. Uh, take initiative and for us to be on the offensive in the way that we're living or if we could grasp that right now at this moment how good that would be that people are going to say yeah okay let's be diligent now in serving the lord and living for him before the eyes of a watching world
1: yeah and that won't always be easy because sometimes that will call upon us to take stands do things refuse to do things that will also be good works but Because they're being done before people, it won't necessarily bring uh, a sense of people saying, oh, your God is great. We want to worship your God. But it will be declaring the greatness and glory of our God that we Mm -hmm. love more than the praise, approval, or benefits that we
0: might receive from men. Yep. Amen. Well, let your light shine before men. Thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, do remember we have the Founders Conference coming up December 5th through the 7th, and we want to give out some free registrations. Yeah. How many? Let's do five. Five free registrations to the first five people to uh, retweet or share on the Internet. You got to do it through Twitter, or can you do it through anywhere?
1: That's Hannah, how do they have to do it? Twitter.
0: You have to share it through Twitter. So and it has you share to, it on has, Twitter.
1: It has to be, have to include Founders Men, at Founders M-I-N. Tag us. Tag us. First and five.
0: You get free registration. Okay.
1: On your mark, get set, go.